September 20th, 2022, VMLYNR for Zeljans. At ID PFXE012100. Spot title 60 Mornings Are Made for Better Things. 60 Second Radio, full mix. Mornings were made for better things than rheumatoid arthritis or RA. Zeljans tofacitinib is a pill for adults with moderate to severe RA when tumor necrosis factor blockers did not work well or could not be tolerated. Zeljans can help relieve joint pain, swelling, and help stop further joint damage. Zeljans can lower your ability to fight infections. Don't start if you have one. Before and during treatment, your doctor should check for infections like TB and do blood tests. Serious, sometimes fatal infections, cancers including lymphoma and lung, blood clots, serious heart-related events, tears in the stomach or intestines, and allergic reactions have happened. People 50 and older with heart disease risk factors have an increased risk of death. Tell your doctor if you've had hepatitis B or C, have flu-like symptoms, are prone to infections, or have ever had a heart attack, stroke, clot, or other heart problems, or swelling of lips, tongue, throat, or hives. Ask your doctor about prescription Zeljans. Visit Zeljans.com or call 1-844-ZELJANS. This episode is brought to you by Wild CBD. Wild produces the best tasting edibles on the market using real fruit and all natural flavoring. With flavors inspired by the Pacific Northwest, high quality ingredients, real fruit, and consistent dosing. Wild has become one of the leading cannabis edible producers in the country. Wild's new CBD line currently offers real fruit-infused gummies in blackberry, huckleberry, lemon, and raspberry. CBD-infused sparkling water in raspberry, lemon, blackberry, and blood orange. Each gummy is dosed with 25 milligrams of CBD and can be purchased in a bottle of 10 or 20. Wild CBD is offering our listeners 30% off their next purchase from wildcbd.com by using the code POD. That's P-O-D for 30% off your next purchase. Wild CBD products are intended for use only by individuals aged 18 and older. Wild CBD products should only be consumed as directed on the label and should not be used if you are pregnant or breastfeeding. All Wild CBD products are made with ingredients containing 0% THC. Consult with a health professional prior to using Wild CBD in combination with any medications or other dietary supplements. The Oracle Network. Look deeper. When a number of experienced hikers went out and never returned, people were worried. However, they were so much more worried when they came across the bodies and their very odd and unexplainable injuries. Today, we are going to go over the theories of what happened at Dyatlov Pass. Welcome to or welcome back to the Great Unsolved Podcast. I'm your host, Alexis, and it is day 15 of 31 Days of Crime, where I post a new episode every day. This year, we are not only doing true crime cases, but I am also doing episodes on conspiracies and cults. Today's 
sorry, my cat is laying next to me and that was a little yawn if you heard that. Anyways, today's episode is the second part to the Diet Love Pass episode. Yesterday's episode, I discussed the facts of each of the hikers, their autopsies, the evidence that was found, and the route of the trip. Today, we are going over solely theories because there are so many theories and there are so many unexplained pieces to this case that I thought it needed its own episode. Now, the official theory is that all of these individuals died of hypothermia combined with an avalanche. However, there is no weather data or data in general to support that an avalanche ever happened. And so, while they may have died of hypothermia, there is nothing to explain the injuries that they had since the government was using the avalanche as an explanation to the injuries. So we are going to get into theories on how they got those injuries, how they died, and just what happened on Dyatlov Pass. Before we get into theories, a little disclaimer that all my pets decided to be in my office today while I'm recording. So if there are sounds, I have both my cats, my rabbit, and my two mice in here because they have attachment issues or so I assume because they follow me all over. Anyways, let's get into some of the crazier theories. So one person who is Alexi Rakuten, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Um, she wrote a book, or sorry, it was a group of authors under that name that wrote a book. And their theory was that the KGB was involved. Now the KGB was essentially like Russian spies, I guess you could say. And they were active during the time of the Dyatlov Pass incident. So many people think that the KGB, as well as maybe some CIA agents or whatever, were involved in the incident. Apparently, people believe that the hikers or the climbers, the people that died in the Dyatlov Pass incident, were part of one of these things, and it was just disguised as an expedition. This way, it would make sense if someone came to their camp and killed them. There would be reason to kill them if they were spies. However, there is not much to support this. There was radioactive clothing found at the scene of the incident, and this kind of points to maybe some unexplained weapons being used, or some type of unexplained bomb, or something along those lines, which would be available to secret spies. However, to me, this just doesn't make sense. To make these people all come together and do this expedition as a cover-up seems insane to me. They all had climbing experience before, they were all students, and they were all, or at least mostly all, engineering students. 
So none of that really points to them being part of the KGB for me or any other spy ring. Another theory that kind of goes along with this first one is that these people on the expedition were mistaken for gulag fugitives. Gulag fugitives were basically political prisoners. And right around the area, not more than a few miles away, there were some of these prisons. And many people believe that maybe the military saw this expedition of people climbing up the mountain and thought it was their fugitives. So they could have gone forward and killed these people and then realized they were in fact not the fugitives. On the other hand, some people believe that a fugitive really did get out or a group of fugitives really did get out and they killed the people on the expedition because they thought these were people coming after them. So there are two opposite sides to this story, and it would make sense if we had a more notable cause of death for any of these people. But we just basically have unexplainable injuries as well as freezing to death as a cause of death. There's not like stab wounds or gunshot wounds or really anything in that ballpark. So it doesn't really make sense to assume that they were killed by fugitives. Now, on the other hand, they could have been killed by people looking for fugitives as, since they were in the military, they may have had weapons that were before their time and maybe not traceable as a cause of death on these Dyalov Pass explorers' bodies. A big thing that has been noted in part for this theory is that Yuri Yudin, who was the man who got sick and had to leave before the fatal day, found a piece of clothing within the evidence that he states did not belong to anyone on the expedition. It was something that you wrap around your feet or legs to keep them warm. He stated that this did not belong to any of his friends who were on the expedition, and that they were widely used among soldiers in the 40s and also used among prisoners of Stalin's concentration camp. No one has really given a claim to how this ended up, but since Yuri Yudin found it, it has disappeared from the evidence room for this case, which kind of points to a little bit of suspicion. Why would this evidence go missing if it was nothing in the case? Sorry, my cat keeps yawning in the background. Apparently, he's had a very long day. Another big thing that encompasses quite a few theories also has to do with the military in Russia at this time. Many people believe maybe the group that was going across Dalla Pass encountered a testing zone. What the testing zone was used for is the main piece of controversy. Some people believe that this was a bombing testing zone. Some people believe there were parachute bombs, which is just as it sounds, they are bombs that are sent in on a parachute. Many people believe there could have been mines in the area. Other people believe it was a chemical warfare testing area. And there are some pieces that could make sense here. If it was chemical warfare of some kind, not sure what kind, but really any kind. These people were left outside long enough 
for many chemicals to leave their body. They were supposed to come back on the 12th of February. They were not really searched for until the 20th and not found until the 26th or 27th. So that gives over a week of time for these chemicals to clear out of their body, which can happen quite quickly, whether dead or alive. So chemical warfare would make sense as there would really be nothing left behind to trace it to. However, this does not explain the injuries. A bomb, on the other hand, of any type would explain many of the injuries to many of these victims. But when you look at crime scene photos, this doesn't make sense. Some of the victims did have burn marks on them, but it wasn't burned to the point that you would expect with a bomb. There was also no crater indicating a bomb had gone off, and there was just things were too pristine to look like they had been in a battlefield of sorts. If there was any substance to any of these claims, it could be just dealing with the military. It might not have anything to do with a testing zone for bombs or chemical warfare. Maybe there were just special forces in this area. Many people have stated that they think some type of secret special forces were in this area because it would obviously be a good place to hide out. There are not towns for a while and it is quiet and not many people try to climb it. So if this group stumbled upon an area of special forces, that would give reason to kill them, basically, if the special forces wanted to keep things quiet. I do have a few reasons to not believe this. One, there was never anything like a miss with the evidence. It looked like the group themselves cut themselves out of their tent and ran off. If they had been being chased by someone, I feel like it would have been quite easy to find them. They were not particularly hidden when they ran off, and their dead bodies were not in a hidden place. I feel as if it were special forces, they would take more time to get rid of the bodies so that they could not be traced back. Around the area, there was an area called Cantimancia, if I'm pronouncing that right at all. It was an autonomous district in Russia. Many people believe that there were Mansi hunters that camped around this mountain range, and they could have been the ones who committed these murders on February 1st of 1959. There was Mansi, northeast from where the Dyatlov group was camping the night that something happened. There was a trail leading to the Mansi area, and it passed only 200 feet from where the Dyatlov group camped. So there was an opportunity there for both groups to see each other, and there was an opportunity for something to go wrong. The Mansi, since they were native to the area, knew the area better than the Dyatlov group, and they had the skills to essentially surprise attack the Dyatlov group and push them into the woods where they could essentially hunt them. 
which, not saying anything about the Mansi people in general, but it may have been some sort of a game for them. They are very secluded people, and they consider the mountains that the Dyatlov group was on their hunting grounds. So they might have had more of a connection to it, and may have thought that these people were intruding on their land, which would give them more reason to go after them and or kill them. Once again, this doesn't give a great cause of death. There is so much that just doesn't make sense in this case. No matter what theory we go into, something else is going to negate it. Because while one thing might explain the trauma done to the bodies, it might not explain how they really died. And the two bodies that were found first, of both Yuri D and Yuri K, really didn't have that much trauma to the bodies. So it is most likely that they died of hypothermia and they died first. So pairing that with a group of people hunting them doesn't seem to make sense. Going along somewhat with the Mansi people, is the idea of the group ingesting mushrooms that were toxic to humans. If the Mansi people wanted to kill this group in an untraceable way, then the idea of shrooms would be a good option for them because they may have reasoned with the expedition group to eat them and the expedition group either thought maybe it was a cultural thing or that these people were just trying to be nice and did not want to go against them at all. So they ate these mushrooms and subsequently died. This kind of could explain the trauma to the bodies. When you take the mushrooms, you don't die immediately. You may suffer hallucinations, delirium, confusion, any of that stuff before death for a number of hours, depending on how your body reacts to the mushrooms. So, if these people took these mushrooms, some people may not have been able to withstand the toxicness from them, and they died first. But the people who were able to withstand it for a while were the ones with the most injuries, and they were the ones that people think died last. So maybe these people started to hallucinate, things got weird, they hurt each other or hurt themselves, and then they died, which would explain the different fractures and broken ribs and all of that kind of stuff. Another theory with the mushroom aspect is that the Dayalov Pass group found these mushrooms themselves. They were known to grow under pine trees and they were close to a forest so finding them would not be totally out of place. Now, we know from the Dyatlov Pass group journal that they were trying to ration food and they were trying to make sure they had enough to get through the entire expedition. So if they found something edible like mushrooms, they might not have thought twice about eating them. They thought maybe it would help them tonight and then they could keep their food for a time that they would need it more or just add to their food supply. So if they found these on their own, without knowledge of how toxic they were, they could have eaten them as a meal and the same thing could have happened. Some people could have died first, other people could have suffered hallucination and hurt each other or themselves. 
I don't think this is a total crazy conspiracy theory to this because of the natural aspects of it. After a certain amount of time, it would be untraceable. And since we don't really have toxicologies from these victims, but if there was anything showing the cause of death, I feel like that would be put out to the public to deter conspiracy theories. However, this would probably not show up in a toxicology, so it would make sense as a cause of death. Let's talk about the official theory of an avalanche. Now, avalanches were not very common on this mountain range, and these hikers were experienced. They knew that an avalanche was probably not going to happen. And there is a lot of evidence to support that an avalanche did not happen. In the crime scene photos, we're going to call it a crime scene because we don't know what happened, but in the crime scene photos of the tent, there is snow on the middle but not on the ends, and one end is more elevated than the others. If there were an avalanche that caused them to run out of their tent, we would see the tent be fully covered, or at least the front be knocked down, and that is now what we see. The middle could have snow on it simply because of how the group exited the tent. They cut themselves out, and the snow could have just gotten there in a hurry. Now, the footprints that we also see around the tent and leading away from the tent tell us that there was not an avalanche after they left. If there was an avalanche, which there is no evidence of, then it happened before they walked away. So, why would they walk away after an avalanche is finished? They knew the area, they knew that avalanches were not common, so if one happened, they would be unlikely to leave after it for fear of another one because they would know that another one would most likely not happen. The footprints are not covered in snow, so we see that there was not an avalanche after they left. Also, diaries from the group tell us that there was a very thin snow covering, which means an avalanche wouldn't really be possible, if at all possible. So the avalanche theory just doesn't make sense. Plus, if there was an avalanche, they would be in the area where they camped. So for the avalanche theory to make sense, a series of events had to occur. Something had to have gotten them out of their tent. They had to have left the tent for some reason and walked far away. Some people had to have died in one spot, and other people had to have gone to another spot, where the avalanche then hit them, where there is no evidence of an avalanche, if you follow what I'm saying. The series of events and the timeline just doesn't add up with an avalanche happening. Now, for those of you who don't believe in the supernatural at all, this is going to seem like the most insane theory. It is the theory of UFOs. The last photo ever taken from the camera that was unknown to Yuri Y shown basically an orb in the middle and a glowing streak on the left top side of the picture. It will be in the show notes on greatunsolvedpod.com, but that's basically what it is. And many people have theorized that this is the reflection of a UFO. And people think that this UFO scared away the group. That would explain them cutting themselves out of the tent and running off. 
At the same time, Russian armed forces launched several rockets. They claimed that these rockets landed in the North Ural Mountains, but a lot of people have stated they saw some glowing and pulsating orbits flying towards the area of the Dyatlov Pass incident on the day of the Dyatlov Pass incident. So this kind of bears some credibility to the theory of a UFO. We're not talking about aliens, we are talking about Soviet forces sending out rockets that were unknown to people at the time. So it makes sense that it would scare the expedition people. Now, one of the investigators on the Dyatlov Pass incident lived a while and he went over this theory multiple times. In 1990, he retired and he talked to someone in an interview and said this, When we examined the scene in May, we found that some young pine trees at the edge of the forest had burn marks, but those marks did not have a concentric form or some other pattern. There was no epicenter. This once again confirmed that heated beams of a strong, but completely unknown, at least to us, energy were directing their firepower towards specific objects, acting selectively. And he has stated that he thinks in this case they were landing towards people as the specific objects. There were sightings in this area around the same time, and it just makes sense. If the government was testing new technology in rockets and was using heated beams that were very strong, strong enough to knock down a bunch of pine trees, this could have somehow killed these individuals. This could account for the radioactive stuff on their clothes, and it could account for some of their injuries. I can't believe I'm saying this, but the UFO theory is not that crazy to me in this case. It actually seems like it has some substance. Now, the other day I watched Kendall Ray's video on the Datlov Pass incident, and she mentioned something called infrasound. And that is a widely held theory in this case, but I had never heard of it before. This is a theory that some sort of rare weather phenomenon messed with the group's minds and scared them off. This is called infrasound. If a perfect storm erupted, it could have scared the climbers and they could have panicked and cut themselves out of the tent then they could have fallen victim to hypothermia before they could get back to the tent. So a stronger version of infrasound is the Carmen Vortex Street. This is basically the production of a very powerful sound that has been proven to induce great fear in humans. The Dead Mountain is the perfect shape for this to happen. If this strong wind did go into a Carmen Vortex tree, it could have produced a lot of very small tornadoes of snow, and this could have scared the group along with the loud noise. Infrasound would be undetectable to the human ear, but it is a type of air vibration that is known to cause people insomnia, cause people shortness of breath, and cause people extreme dread for no known reason. There is a very good picture by 
Vaden Chernobrov, I think I pronounced that right, from 1999. And it shows where the Dyalov Pass expeditioner's tent was. It shows where a odd object in the sky was. It showed where nine Mansi hunters died, where the five bodies of the Dyatlov Pass victims were, where the footsteps disappear, and where nine people died in a plane crash years later. This is kind of pointing to the idea that it was not a one-time thing on this mountain. This is pointing to the idea that there is something going on on this mountain, such as infrasound, or such as testing, that causes many deaths around the area. One of the main theories I have heard is the idea of a Bigfoot, which would be a Russian Yeti in this case. And it's crazy, but I am not someone who totally negates the idea of Bigfoot, and I have been <laughs> teased for that as well. In my first book, I even wrote that it took me a long time, but I don't see why Bigfoot couldn't exist. No, just quickly, let me make sense to that. I think that with the amount of the world that has been unexplored and undocumented, it is not weird for us to think that there is an unknown type of animal out there. I don't think it is a human-like creature covered in hair, but I think there are animals out there that we don't know exist. And why can't it be something that walks on two legs? That doesn't mean it's intelligent. That doesn't mean it's targeting people or that it's supernatural. It just might be an unknown type of animal. Anyways, people have speculated that the Dyatlov Pass incident victims were part of a yeti killing, basically. And to add to that theory is one of the last pictures that the group of hikers took. It is of a snow-covered walkway with a lot of trees covered in snow, and at the end of their ski tracks is a fairly large, dark, person-like object. Now, my problem with this picture is that it could have just been the last person in the group because it looks to be following their ski tracks pretty spot on. The thing that points against that is that this person does not look to be carrying any gear or have any skis on or the little pokey things that you hold when you go skiing. I don't know what they're called. Um, but that's really the only thing that makes it kind of odd to me. I think that this was a member of the party. However, a lot of people thought it could have been a Yeti killing before this photo came out, and this just kind of gave credit to these people's theories. Now, since it is unknown if Yetis are real or not, it is merely a conspiracy, that means if they did happen to be real and they killed someone, we wouldn't know how they would kill someone. If you're following what I'm saying is the cause of death would be unknown because to us it would look like something different or just maybe wouldn't look like anything at all. We don't have a precedent for how a Yeti killing was look, would look 
because we haven't experienced one that we know of, if that makes sense. I know I'm sounding crazy, but that is what I mean. The last theory I'm going to go over is the theory of Arctic hysteria. This is a theory that came about after the Dyatlov Pass incident and the Shivruay Pass incident. These are two incidents in Russia that are very similar, um, kind of eerily similar actually. And in both cases, things that happened in the Dyatlov Pass incident happened. So. People were looking for a way to explain the hikers' strange movements, strange behaviors, etc. So, people came up with the idea of Arctic hysteria. They think that this could be something that makes people disoriented, lose track of time, walk in a trance, and become ill or aggressive. And this could have caused some injuries, and it could have caused the death. This has been only observed in native people. Non-natives often report that they have never been affected by this, and it is kind of unknown why. So it is kind of just speculated at this point that these groups of people who were not native to the area could have died of Arctic hysteria. But this made me think of altitude sickness. And we discussed altitude sickness in the day 12 episode where I talked about Mount Everest. Altitude sickness is where if you are too high up, you get nauseous, you get extremely exhausted, and you can even get confused and aggressive. Now, I don't think the group of hikers was that high up, and they all were experienced hikers. However, maybe something like altitude sickness happened, or it just took them by surprise. Just because they were experienced hikers doesn't mean they couldn't have gotten altitude sickness for an unknown reason. Now, if they got altitude sickness, they could have wandered off, and this could have been the reason for them leaving their tent so quickly and moving so far away from their tent. Then, some people could have died of hypothermia, but the people that were left could have extended into more severe altitude sickness, which would cause even more confusion and aggressiveness. Maybe they got aggressive to themselves or others, and this is where the weird fractures and injuries came from. Then they died of these injuries, or they died of hypothermia, or both combined. Something like that is what makes the most sense to me. Something that would explain why these injuries happened, why they died, and why they left. And it is all fairly simple. It is kind of taking away the fun part of the conspiracy theory of the Dial of Pass incident, but I think Alchem's Razor is where we need to go with this case because it has been so widely debated. On that note, I do not think that the Russian government's official theory of avalanche and hypothermia killing them is right, just because there is no evidence anywhere of an avalanche. And I think it is throwing a lot of people off that they are still claiming that. I think that is where a lot of these theories are blossoming from, because people think the Russian government is trying to cover something up here. And while they may be very well doing that, it doesn't mean they are. And I think it was something natural that caused these people to be confused and maybe hurt each other in the end.
Thank you for joining me for day 15 of 31 Days of Crime. Tomorrow I will be back with another episode as I am every day of October. Be sure to check out our Patreon link below for exclusive content and bonus content. We also have all our socials linked below. Follow us on Twitter at Great Unsolved and on Instagram at Great Unsolved Pod. I also have a Facebook group that I post on quite frequently, so find us on there. Later tonight, I will be live on Get Vocal at 8 p.m. talking about the Jared Adadero case, which is just a case that baffles me and it is so confusing and there is definitely a cover-up going on there. So if you want to hear me just talk through the Jared Adadero case and my theories, join us on Get Vocal at 8 p.m. Thank you and have a great day. Welcome to BreezeLine, where you'll say, ta-ta, T-Mobile, our home internet is just plain better, more reliable and faster because we put internet first. If there's network congestion, we won't slow your internet down like T-Mobile does to help their cell customers. And right now, you can try out a true internet experience with BreezeLine's reliable and fast fiber-powered home internet. Find your perfect speed with prices starting at $19.99 a month for 24 months. Terms and conditions apply. Go to BreezeLine.com to learn more.